Tuesday, October 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Gentlemen, happy Tuesday. Happy earnings season. It's begun. Yay. It has officially What'd begun. What'd you get me? Uh, you know, I got you the. Uh, I got nothing. I got nothing for you. <laughs> okay. Nothing but you know what? Gifts. For our listeners, I, I'll ju- I'll just say right now: just plan on a steady diet of. Or if you, if you're sitting back wondering, like, gosh, I wonder what they're going to talk about tomorrow on Market Foolery. You don't have to wonder because basically for the next month, it's just going to be full on earnings. Uh, today we're going to talk about some beverage industry news. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to start, however, with Netflix, and it's been quite a month so far for Netflix. From October 1st through the 8th, shares up more than 30%. Today, down nearly 11% on a downgrade from Merrill Lynch. And Jason, uh, just to add a bit more context, yesterday it was up about the same amount after a Morgan Stanley analyst had upgraded the stock, in part because he said he doesn't believe Amazon will build an online video service that will threaten Netflix. Uh, we can dig into that in a minute, but just what what is going on with this stock? I mean, even if you take the the last two days out of it, it's it's really kind of the, the roller coaster is continuing. This bothers me. I mean, I, I hate the roller coaster rides that these analysts can can put things on, put stocks on with their their upgrades and their downgrades. If you look at these two upgrades before uh, today. The upgrades were based more on the arguments were more fundamentally based that that the business was was recovering and, and moving forward. And today's downgrade by Merrill uh, was more of a, a valuation based downgrade, and the stock had reached its fair valuation, and, and they felt like it was time to sell it. So either way, it's amazing to me that just on these these calls alone, that the market will will move so quickly into into buying or selling a stock. Uh, you know the. the the call today is is a little bit concerning because they're saying, well, it's a valuation thing, and who knows how far Netflix is going to be able to go. I think there were some other interesting newsworthy items that came out, and we know that Moody's is putting some of Netflix's debt on review for a potential downgrade. Um, I don't know how how you know widely that was dispersed, but that's something that we found earlier. And there was also an interesting article out today talking about uh, Amazon's recent uh, deal with, with Epix, or is it Epix? Epix? But uh, a little bit more uh, light was shed on that deal and how the, the payment is going to be made there. And they, they basically made an offer for the content, and then there is a contingency there that if, if Amazon is able to get a certain number of Prime subscribers or more, if that threshold is met, then Amazon will pay more. Uh, so it, it benefits you know Epix that, that Amazon Amazon's Prime subscribers are watching more of their content. Essentially, what that all boils down to is the old argument that we've some of us have been arguing for a while now, that as more players come into this streaming game, uh, they potentially can bid this content up more and more and more. So we see that at least the content providers, the ones who are making the content, uh, hold a good amount of the sway here versus the distributors like Amazon's or Netflix's. So then it becomes a question of, well, who has the the sway there? Who has the financial power to sort of wait it out? We know that Amazon and Bezos, they can almost wait it forever. You know, they They're seem to have patient a, people. Yeah, very yeah. patient with a very big checkbook. And and if uh, you put that along with the fact that Netflix may have a may have a debt downgrade. That could certainly be debilitating to Netflix in the near term, especially when we look at the fact that they're probably going to have to raise some money sooner or later in some capacity just to pay for more you know, new compelling content. Joe, what do you think when you look at this company and everything that's gone on over the last couple of weeks? Well, the big issue in the stock bouncing up and down the past couple of days 
You know, it's not sell-side analysts' fault. It's the fault of the short-term investors who are moving in and out of the stock. And it's understandable why people are very sensitive about I was, Netflix. I was going to use the word skittish, because that's, that's <laughs> how it looks to me. Yeah, I mean, the stock has just been on an unbelievable roller coaster over the past few years, and it looks like it's going to keep staying that way. And I, I don't want to say Netflix is an all-or-nothing story, but I really do think that in 10 years, Netflix is either going to be a fossil or it's going to be a huge home run. And they're either going to get the critical mass that they need and the content that they need, both through you know signing key deals and creating original programming, or they're not. And I think that a lot of people are very sensitive to those you know multiple futures. And, and that's understandable, but I definitely feel for the long-term investors who own shares and kind of have to deal with those swings. On the flip side, you know all these violent swings back and forth or buying opportunities if you are a long-term believer. In the thesis. Where is Hulu in the midst of all this? And we haven't talked about Hulu. Smaller. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, we haven't talked about it in a while, and, and it was some months back that, uh, you know, the, the, the parent companies had, you know, Fox and, and, and NBC and others, you know, GE, Comcast, whoever, whatever massive conglomerate is owning NBC these days, uh, they, it seemed like they had collectively decided, you know what, Hulu is not worth the headache, and we're just going to look to sell it. And then either they didn't get enough interest or they didn't get interest at a high enough price tag, and they said, no, 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 we're, we're taking it off the table. Where, where does Hulu fit now in this battle for online video? So it's interesting from a consumer's pers- perspective. You know, I mean, I, we used to have Netflix in our house. We have uh, Hulu and we have Amazon Prime. Uh, we have that little Apple TV device that gets us all of those things on our big screen as well, with the exception of Amazon Prime. But Hulu, while it is smaller, I think it, it's at least a player here because it does provide you some of that newer content that you're not necessarily going to get elsewhere. And if you don't have something like a TiVo or a DVR where you're going to be able to record something and watch it later, well, you have that option to watch it on Hulu whenever you want. So, yes, it is smaller, but I don't think it's something that should just be completely discounted from this picture. I mean, it's it's still a player in there, and it has some some powerful forces behind it in Disney and NBC and, and uh, players like that. Joe, uh, just last thing on Netflix. Uh, we've talked before about the original programming piece. How critical is that for them to grow their subscriber base more? Because it seems like Netflix is mainstream to the point where you know pretty much everyone knows it's an option that they have. It seems like to the extent that they could create a big hit, you know, a madman or breaking bad or you know whatever and obviously Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Obviously that's <laughs> that's far easier said than done, but it yeah. seems like the sort of thing that could unlock a, a huge amount of value for them if they were able to do that. Yeah, I think original programming that's done right would be the difference between these guys just being a regurgitator of other people's copy and being a gotta have brand. I don't think of Netflix as a gotta have component. I subscribe to it. But as Amazon keeps upping their streaming offerings, I'm also a Prime member, you know, they're becoming progressively more redundant. The value prop of paying for Netflix is fading for me. You know, I pay 79 bucks a year for Prime, and I pay 8 bucks a month, so 96 bucks a year for Netflix. And, you know, I'm not sure that I'm getting... I definitely think I'm getting a lot better value out of my Prime membership mm-hmm. when you total in, you know, the two-day shipping out of Amazon and the you know, other bells and whistles. But... All told, I do think it would be a big differentiator for them if they're able to do it. And, you know, I think something like I joked about Game of Thrones, but, you know, finding some kind of low-budget existing brands or stories that are out there that they could bring to film or bring to story, I think would be really exciting. And I do think Arrested Development is a great 
great example where obviously it's not going to be Lord of the Rings style budgeting. Right. Uh, very low key. It's a very clever show, and it really targets kind of the niche of people who love older films and large you know catalogs of DVDs of TV shows. So I think it's well done. Yeah, I think that's going to be the key is is really that Netflix is going to have to provide that original content to differentiate itself again. I mean, it held that competitive advantage in DVDs by mail for a long time. Streaming is a completely different game, and we used to subscribe to Netflix. We don't anymore because we realized that between Hulu and Amazon and Fios, we can get whatever we want whenever we want and, and with the Apple TV device, and, and Netflix was just almost a redundancy, so we didn't need it. There's nothing compelling there. If they are able to pull off that original content, then I think that's going to be huge. I mean, I'm a big Arrested Development fan, and I'm excited to see what they can pull off here. But again, I mean, if it's just something where I subscribe to it for one month, watch it, and then ditch it, that's still a problem, too. So they're going to have to address a couple of problems there. Well, there's always money in the banana stand. (laughs) Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Dr. Pepper Snapple Group have announced they will start displaying calorie information on vending machines starting next year. The machines will also display messages like, try a low-calorie beverage. Joe, what do you think? Is this a good move? I had no idea these things were high calorie. <laughs> what? What do you wait, sugar? This Coke has what? Yeah, I think it's a good move. They're being somewhat responsive, reactive, somewhat proactive on kind of getting it out in front of some more lawsuits, I'm sure. I mean, look, we all know that drinking Coke is good for you and all the nutritional values have been on the labels for a long time. It's not like the Coke recipe has changed a lot in recent times. So mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of secrets to be had here. Uh, you know, I guess it's smart in the sense that they're trying to just prevent brand damage from having to deal with more kind of New York type situations. And to Coke's credit, they've really kind of diversified their product line too. So it's a lot easier for them to put the nutritional value up when you have a Coke that's obviously bad for you, but you can also throw an honest tea or a Dasani in there, which you look at and you're like, okay, well, neither of these is going to rot or my belly. Or Coke, which doesn't have any calories. Well, that nature. might still rot your belly. Well, you know, you take what you can get. Sure. Mine's, mine's still here. <laughs> um, Jason, we were talking earlier. I, I sort of feel like, uh, to Joe's point, this is a good move. I also feel like we're, we're, we're getting uh, to a tipping point. Uh, with public pressure on these companies when it comes to calorie information. L- look, no, no, I don't think anyone is standing up and arguing that obesity is not a significant and rising health challenge in America. I don't think anyone is taking that position. But it seems like w- with this, th- this is one more move where I don't know how much more these companies can do to really put it out there before – they start to turn around and say, you know what, at some point, this becomes a personal choice. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think ultimately it does become a personal choice, but, you know, we want to make sure that uh, consumers are educated. And so I'm all for getting this information out there in front of the consumer. And so McDonald's and fast food restaurants uh, like like McDonald's did the same thing by getting all that nutritional yep. information on their packaging. And, and just the same way, I think that it's it's quite reasonable for these beverage companies to get their, uh, you know, nutritional information or lack of nutritional information on, on the venture. Machines and it allows consumers to make a choice because ultimately that's what it's all about. But we have to lo- we, there has to be a line drawn somewhere because you know we don't want to live somewhere where you're going to have someone telling you, well, you can't buy a large drink because it has too many calories. 
at some point you have to draw the line. And so I think we're already there, so, right? It's, it, in, it's some places there, in some places there are, and I think that's a real shame because, I mean, ultimately it, it all boils down to, to the consumer. And so as long as we have educated consumers, the companies are doing their part in order to teach us and show us what, what you know their products have in it. Uh, from there, the consumers make their decisions, and, and we have to live with the ramifications of that. Yeah, to Joe's point, I think it is worth pointing out because we had talked previously about Mayor Bloomberg in New York City and, and looking to ban large sodas. Uh, this program that we're talking about is going to be rolled out nationwide, but it's going to launch in Chicago and San Antonio. Uh, and one of the stories I read today uh, quoted the, the respective mayors of those two cities and their feeling. And it's clear that these two guys are take a different tack from Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, in Chicago, uh, in Chicago uh, Rahm Emanuel, the mayor there, said uh, through a spokesman that uh, he believes personal responsibility is the key to health. And Julian Castro in San Antonio said what he's focused on is providing greater <coughs> access uh, an opportunity for people to make healthy choices rather than, you know, looking to ban soda. So I, it, it, uh, it, it does seem like we are getting close to that tipping point. Uh, again, you can always email us, radio at fool.com is the way to get a hold of us. In response to yesterday's program where, Joe, I believe the, you made reference to, uh, uh, how, how did you put it with, uh, we were talking about how different people listen to market foolery, and you said something about... <laughs> You know, yeah, so cops beating we're talking the about riding a mountain, yeah, mountain bike, cops yeah. beating the crap out of people, but then back up, saying, hey, no, 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 well, we, we, yeah, it was just detaining the suspect, detaining the suspect. Um, uh, we got an email from Thomas Bird, the police officer in question. He wrote, uh, "I'm on patrol now, and I was laughing out loud when I heard the comment about being the cop who gets out of the car <laughs> and beats suspects while listening to market foolery." Yes, for the record, I paused the podcast prior to any police contacts. Although I do encounter the prospect of being in potentially life-threatening situations while catching up with my favorite podcast, it takes investment discipline to a whole new level. Boom. I appreciate what you guys do. I'm a big fan of the show. That's, we, we always appreciate that. And, uh, and again, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's nice he's taking the time. Pause it. Go about his business as a police officer. Keep the streets safe, and uh, you know, and go from there. Pause, In honor of him, I'm going to perform a citizen's arrest on someone today on the way home. Nice. Whoever's the shadiest looking person, <laughs> Chris, I've got to go now. I'm sure that's <laughs> going to work out well for everyone. All right, Joe Mager, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. That worked out very well. Is citizen's arrest real? Um, you know, like yeah, I've that, seen it in movies and on TV. I don't know if that actually works. I, I, think I mean, when I, I was a kid, I thought it was real, but now when I see it in movies and TV, it's 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 basically laughed at. Like, well, flip really? it around. Yeah. What would happen if someone came to you and said, I'm placing you under citizen's arrest? I'd I mean, probably punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> then, we go. He, then he'd have something to you know, call the cops about. <laughs>